your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 3. Good morning, church family. How's everyone doing today? Hope we're doing well and ready to hear the Word, to be nourished by the Word. I want to piggyback a little bit on what Bobby had said, Pastor Bobby uh, mentioned last week. Um, I'm, uh, all the elders feel the same. Like, we are beyond grateful for this church. We are so thankful to shepherd you guys. Um, and that's only by the grace of God that he's allowed us to. And it's such a privilege and an honor. And I just want to let you guys know, and I've said this before, I love you guys deeply. Um, this family is like my whole world. Uh, I've been here my entire life, except for five weeks, as my dad would say, because I was in California against my own will being a baby. Uh, being born in San Diego. so But otherwise, this church has been my whole life and my whole world, and I'm thankful um, for these elders to preach with them, to work with them. Uh, I'm looking at Zach because he's brand new to the board, and having taught him and to see him in a few weeks, it's such a joy. Um, Matthew chapter 3, we're going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to settle in on verses 13 through 17 as our text. But let's read the whole I'm going to read the whole uh, chapter this morning. Matthew 3, verse 1 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham." Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Grant, O Lord, that by your holy word, which will be read and preached in this place, and by your Holy Spirit grafting it inwardly in the heart, the hearers of it may both perceive and know what things they ought to do, and have power and strength to fulfill the same. Amen. I remember my first day, my first day in the landscape industry. 
It was April of 2009. I was 21 years old, and I had been pursuing a career in the horticulture world for two years by this time. I was driving in on that Monday morning in my 1996 Sebring convertible. Sweet ride, right? I walked into the shop of my new employment, Three Seas Landscaping. I sat down in a room with a group of other landscapers. Some of them were new like me and some of them had a lot of experience. And wouldn't you know it, it was downpouring that entire morning. Heavy storm, some lightning. I sat in that room from 7 a.m. till about 8.30 a.m. And then one of my managers, my new managers, came by and said it was a rain day and we were told that we could go home. So needless to say, I didn't do any gardening that day, but I did the next day, that following Tuesday. That was the beginning of what is now my 13-year career in this industry as a horticulturist. And since that day, I've lived occupationally and uh, as a hobby, as a gardener. And working as a horticulturist means that I've been engaging in very distinct practices, such as garden maintenance, planting, plant health care, pruning, and even listening to people use poor horticultural terminology. <laughs> and you know who you are. I've even helped many in this room uh, with your horticulture needs. And from what I'm learning is that I've been even intimidated by a few of you, or you've been intimidated by me, that is. So I apologize for being right. We began our series on the person, or we began our series last week on the person and work of Christ with Pastor Bobby, and he was preaching on the pre-existence and the preeminence of Jesus Christ. That is, Christ has always been. Christ has always existed. He is superior to all things. And all things were made by him and through him. So this morning we want to continue this series in Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to settle in, like I said, on verses 13 through 17, focusing on the baptism of Jesus, and we'll see just how imperative this event is for his life and for his ministry. The baptism of Christ is immense in the life of Jesus because it's the inauguration of his mission and ministry, which then culminates in his death on the cross and is equally important and necessary. So, we want to read the text again, okay? And I want to break down chapter 3, verse 13 through 17 into three main points. So I know it's very deductive. You guys know me well. This is how I typically teach. Um, and they're truly not exhaustive, okay? So number one, for those of you that are taking notes, number one, we want to answer these three questions. Number one, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Again, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Number two, what does his baptism mean for his life and his ministry? What does his baptism mean for his life and his ministry? Man, me, me and Brad share in being short people. This pulpit was not built for us. We showed he's over here. Need something a little bit lower. Number three, what does his baptism mean for us? What does, his, what does the baptism of Christ mean for us? So before we get into the text again, I want us to do some backtracking, okay? I want us to take a look back in the Old Testament. We're not going to go anywhere specific, but I want us to see some parallels, okay? 
it's important that we as believers see these events of Christ in the New Testament and we read the Old Testament in light of these events and who Jesus is, right? We want to read these things the same way the early church would have read the Old Testament. We can't do ourselves a disservice by unhitching ourselves from the Old Testament. If anything, it's dangerous if we do that. Um, we have to be able to read the Old Testament and the New and connect these dots. So in light of what we're learning currently through the book of Exodus, and I was just thinking about these things one day as I'm putting these notes together, um, what we're learning in Exodus and going over Matthew 3.13 through 17, it echoes everything that uh, we, we're going through where Moses is delivering the nation of Israel from Egypt, Okay. First century Jews would have read Matthew, the book of Matthew, and they wouldn't have known any different, right? They would have seen the events that took place in Exodus. They would remember these things, and they would see Moses, and they would see Jesus, right? Matthew, remember, is re he's writing to a group that is predominantly Jewish, okay? And the theme of his book is that Jesus is the long-awaited awaited Messiah. He is the promised king. So they anticipated the Messiah, by believing the promises of Yahweh, and they would see these archetype redeemers through the men that Yahweh had used in the covenants. So again, they would read about Moses and Exodus, and they would just instinctively think, that's the Messiah. This is what's going to happen for us. So before John the baptizer comes on the scene, before he prophesies about the coming of Jesus in Matthew 3, there is a 400-year period of prophetic silence from Malachi to Matthew, that there is no new prophecy. Um, Yahweh is not speaking anything through any prophet for 400 years. A lot can happen in 400 years, right? The Toronto Maple Leafs are still waiting for a Stanley Cup. It's been 400 years, okay? Um, a lot can happen in that time period. Then John appears in Matthew 3, and he's proclaiming something that's incredibly radical, at this time. He's preaching and proclaiming to Israel and Gentiles that all need to be baptized with repentance, okay? <clears throat> and they need to be baptized by water. So when we look at the book of Exodus and we see the nation of Israel, they're in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, okay? So already some parallels here. 400 years of dead silence from Yahweh. Then Moses comes on the scene, and Yahweh speaks to Israel through Moses and ultimately delivers him or delivers them from slavery. John the baptizer is prophesying that the, the Redeemer is coming. All need to repent and be baptized. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? We need, to re, we need to repent so that we can be delivered from our own sin, from our slavery to sin. So this is, again, after 400 years, John prophesies, and then Jesus arrives at the Jordan and desires to be baptized. And just as Israel, as they were brought out of Egypt, Israel went through the Red Sea, Christ, who is the true Israel, goes through the waters of baptism. Okay? We have to read Scripture in light of these events. Okay? So I want to dig into our Scripture this morning, Matthew 3, verse 13. So we look at John's proclamation. He says, Repent, for the kingdom, is, is at, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we, it comes to our first question and point. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? If John is calling Gentiles and Jews to repent and be baptized, 
then why did Jesus have to go through it? So let's read again. Matthew 3, verse 13 through 17 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and we saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We see our answer to our first question. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? It's in verse 15. Jesus answered after John says, like, are you serious? Like, I should be baptized by you. This doesn't make any sense, and you're asking me to baptize you. And Jesus says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all this. Again, John was proclaiming earlier in the chapter, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All must repent and be baptized so since we know that Jesus is sinless, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Pastor Zach even reiterated that in his prayer this morning. Um, Jesus was without sin. So if John is preaching this message of baptism with repentance of sin, then what does fulfill all righteousness mean? Okay, And I want to give a few answers to this again for all of you note takers. I'm trying to make this simple for you. All right. What does it mean to fulfill all righteous, all righteousness? So Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness in his baptism by being 100% obedient to the will of the Father. This is what we would call his active obedience, okay? And we want to distinguish these two things when we study theology. There's his passive obedience and his active obedience. His passive obedience would have been his willingness to go to the cross and submit to the wrath of God that, um, that, would place him on, that God would place on him at the cross. So again, his act of obedience was literally his whole life. His whole life of being obedient to the law of God. So that in order for the righteousness of Christ to be completely fulfilled, it was necessary for Jesus to live a perfect life according to the law and to fulfill the prophets. God the Father could not have sent Christ to earth to immediately go to the cross for our sin, and we, would, and we would stand guiltless before a holy God, but we would not be righteous. The righteousness of Christ consists of a perfect, sinless life and a substitutionary death. Everything that Yahweh required from Israel, Jesus had to do perfectly. Everything... Um, Jesus had, sorry, Jesus had to be what we couldn't do, and we had to do what we, he had to do what we failed to do. Where Adam and Noah and Moses and Abraham and David and the nation of Israel, where they had failed, Jesus had to be victorious, and we trust that he was victorious. He is victorious. I like how Dr. Jonathan Pennington defines to fulfill all righteousness. This excerpt is from an article he wrote for the Gospel Coalition. It's also on Southern Equip through uh, Southern Seminary. He writes, Jesus is fulfilling his role as the obedient Son of God by practicing the required righteousness of submitting to God's will to repent, i.e. to live in the world wholeheartedly devoted to God. Jesus desired 
to be obedient to the Father. So to fulfill all righteousness meant that he had to come in our place and fulfill all the law and the prophets. Secondly, to, by being fully obedient to the law, Jesus that is, and fulfilling the prophecies, it was necessary for Jesus to submit to the ministry of John the baptizer. Okay? John was sent before Jesus, right? And he's a herald uh, sent by Yahweh um, for the coming Messiah. Jesus had to submit to this prophecy. Um, John had a very unique role that he would fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40, that is where we see in Matthew 3, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Um, we read in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this was common for prophets to be doing this in this type of area. That prophets would have been preaching, they would have been prophesying in the wilderness, in the desert. So now John comes on the scene and the new command for Israel and for Gentiles is that they must repent and be baptized. So since Jesus did not have sin to repent of, he still had to obey the law and the prophets by going through the waters of baptism. It was essential and necessary that Jesus submit to this prophecy by John. And sometimes you kind of have to sit back and ask yourself, can you imagine if Jesus had come to the Jordan and bypassed everything that John was doing? Like, our salvation would be ruined. It is essential that Jesus fulfilled all of these things. So he submitted to John's ministry. And thirdly, for, to answer what does, what does it mean to fulfill all righteousness, I want to make a third point, and this kind of stems on Jesus being sinless. So I want us to like sink a little bit deeper this morning, okay? So for those of you who are, it's kind of like when you're stretching. So for those of you that are like workout gurus and you know who you are, right? Yeah, I got some nods up here, okay? We're going to take that deep breath and we're going to sink a little bit deeper and get that deep stretch, right? Okay? Christ is the final Adam, or the last Adam, as Paul refers to him in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. Adam is the federal head of all humanity, and we are all born in Adam, right? And we are all born in, I'm sorry, we are all born into sin because of Adam. So apart from Christ, we are in Adam. But because we are in Adam, we need to repent of our sins and believe the promises of God in order to stand justified before the Father. Jesus is the final Adam. He's the firstborn of, new creation, of the new creation. Christ did not have to be baptized for repentance, right? Hebrews chapter 4, he's sinless. But we need to repent. So Christ is going before us, and he's doing it for our repentance. In order for us to be in Christ, he needs to do first all of these righteous things that we need to do. So I want to like clear the air a little bit. A lot of times when we come to this portion of Scripture, we think like, well, yeah, Jesus got baptized as an example for us to follow. You're not wrong. However, there's way more, there's way more depth into this than we can ever imagine. Jesus is doing this um, for his righteousness and for our righteousness so that we can stand before a holy and a perfect God. Like I said, his life and his ministry go hand in hand with his substitutionary death. Yahweh could not send him on Good Friday to go right to the cross without living a whole life of obedience to the law. They go hand in hand. So Jesus is doing this, like you said, to fulfill all righteousness 
for himself and for us, for our repentance and for our sake, so that we can stand before a holy and perfect God. Number two, back to my main points, okay? So that's fulfilling all righteousness. Number two, our question is, what does his baptism mean for his life and his ministry? I think what's most profound in this text in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, is that we see um, this Trinitarian work taking place, right? Let's look back at verse 16. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well. We see here the heavens are opening up, right? Jesus had just been baptized by water by John. He comes up out of the water, and immediately he's brought up into the air, okay? These are the things in Scripture that we have a hard time imagining, right? I don't want to spoil this, but things like this happen in Stranger Things, okay? Where people are elevated into the air, and you just, you can't imagine like these, things types of, these types of things happening. Jesus is literally ascending in the air at this point, okay? The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and the, a voice from heaven, the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom... I am well pleased. We see the Holy Spirit descending and the Father is speaking. This is a great reference as to who Jesus is, right? We have John the baptizer, who is the greatest man that ever lived, and then we have the other two of the Holy Trinity here to witness all of this. And we also see the divine nature of the love that the Father and the Son share together, and as we learned last week, for all eternity, for all existence. The Spirit here is anointing Jesus as the Messianic King. Remember, we have to think about how Matthew's writing to these readers. He's, think, he's writing in a way that Jesus is the promised Messiah King who's also the servant King. <clears throat> the long-awaited King. And the Father here, what he's doing is by saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, he is commissioning Jesus in his ministry, in his servanthood to preach the good news of salvation, which is only through him alone. And that he would commission him also to go to the cross, to die a substitutionary death for the elect. So not only do we see this Trinitarian work here in the baptism of Christ and in his life, we see this for us as well, right? Um, We've been talking a lot about this in our Bible Hour class as as it pertains to Tulip and Calvinism. Um, The Father elects and four loves, right? Jesus the Son secures our salvation. He redeems us. He's the one that brings us to the Father. The Father is the one that reveals, that gives, them, gives us to Jesus, and Jesus brings us to the Father. He secures our salvation. He secures our righteousness before the Father in his life and in his death. And then we are baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit, who also sanctifies us by his word. Let's flip over to one verse, Acts chapter 1. I should have had you guys go there a little bit sooner, but Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to get some water here. (laughs) 
Verse 5 says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Right? So there's, there's a beautiful thing happening here is that, and we're going to get into this later, but we are baptized uniquely into Christ. Our baptism is a picture of his burial and his death and our sins being put to death, but we are being baptized by the Holy Spirit into who Jesus is, right? That we are uniquely identified with Jesus and Jesus is identifying with us. His baptism is also for his life and ministry. It's a picture of his death. So for us, we need to be baptized accompanied with true repentance, right? Not just a simple like, I'm sorry, God's so good, and I've, it's my fault, my bad. No, that we understand that we have committed cosmic treason against a holy and a perfect God. That we understand who Jesus is um, in light of like, what our sin is. That we, and the washing of water here is also it's a symbol of our death, again, and our sin being washed away for all eternity. We don't believe that this water can actually physically remove all of your sin. It is a picture it is a symbol, right? We are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ for all eternity. That we are being buried with Christ. Our sin is being put to death. But what's taking place here for Jesus, for Jesus is the opposite. In his baptism, it is a picture of him taking on our sin for our repentance, right? Jesus had no sin to be washed of. Again, he is perfect and sinless. So he's fulfilling all this righteousness by being baptized for our sake, for our repentance. We see this great exchange beginning to happen. Remember, like the, the illustration I used about my work and like his baptism is that this is his inauguration. This is the beginning of these things. And at this time, remember, Jesus is probably around like 30 years old. This is the beginning of his ministry. But we see this great exchange at his baptism okay, that's taking place. Our sin is being imputed to him. And at the cross, he will die for it. And we receive in exchange his righteousness so that we can stand before the Father guiltless and righteous only because of the work of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. There's nothing that we could have done to have earned that. R.C. Sproul says in his book, The Work of Christ, which is a great book, by the way, if you want to read it. The Work of Christ, he says... What did Jesus do? He obeyed the law perfectly, so he earned the blessing and not the curse. At the cross, our sin was transferred to his account and was laid upon him. That meant he received the curse and not the blessing. But in our redemption, his righteousness is imputed to us, so we receive the blessing and not the curse that we deserve. It's interesting to note, too, that Jesus' active obedience is bookended with his baptism and the Eucharist. These are things that God has given the church as a means of grace so that we can follow him in obedience, but also it's how he identifies with his people. Jesus did all of these things so that he can identify himself with us. And number three, last point. What does the baptism of Christ mean for us? Matthew chapter 3 is one of the most explicit calls to the gospel. Matthew tells us in verse 2 of chapter 3 that as John is prophesying here, he says, we need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So it means that we need to repent of our sins, again, against a holy and a perfect God. And we need to be baptized in the likeness of Christ's death so that we can live with him for all eternity. Again, this is not just simply an example for us to follow. This is eternity at stake. Okay? We need to be baptized in the likeness of Christ's death so that we can live with him for all eternity because the thing is, the flip side is not so joyous. You cannot expect a life of eternity if you do not have faith in Jesus. If you do not believe the promises of God, which all have their yes in Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Do we not do many works, mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Guys, it's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to even attend Bible hour or do outreach or to be kind to your neighbor. One must have genuine faith to receive eternal life. Your works apart from regeneration are as filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. They are disgusting. They are not worthy. They are awful. And you need to repent and believe. I read something briefly. I'm going to kind of paraphrase. um, By Burke Parsons. He's a pastor down at St. Andrews in Orlando. He says that we are not saved by our own works, but the works of Christ. There is nothing that we could do Guys, I've been here 35 years, and 35 years of being in this building is not enough to merit salvation. I have to believe what the Bible says about Jesus and trust in him for my salvation and my soul. You must take Christ by faith. So what is faith? We've been talking about this a lot lately, and we just want to keep reminding ourselves of these things. Faith consists of three things, knowledge, assent, and trust. You must have knowledge of who Jesus is and what he did, right? Faith comes through hearing, the hearing of the word, which means we need to be in our Bibles. We need to hear the word preached to us. We need to have it explained to us so we can understand it, right? Jesus even took time in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, where he says he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. That is, he went through the law and the prophets and he explained to them, this is where I am in the Old Testament. We have to know who Jesus is, and we can only do that by reading our Bibles. And God has so graciously given us his word. Um, We shouldn't neglect it. That we believe that Jesus came as a ransom for many. That he lived a sinless life. That he went to the cross to bear the wrath of the Father. That he was buried, and that there was silence on that Saturday. But then he rose again on that Easter morning and he crushed the head of the serpent. These are things that we have to know and understand. Number two, assent. You must assent to the validity of these claims about Jesus. You must actually think they're true, right? You can't just hear these things and be like, nah, I don't believe that. No, we have to believe these things to be true. And lastly, we have to finally place our trust in Christ alone. If you do place your trust in Christ alone, 
He will sanctify you, and the Holy Spirit will cause you to walk in obedience with him. So if anything, this morning, if you are not, if you're sitting there and you are not trusting in the person and the work of Christ to save you, then please, I beg you, take Christ this morning. Romans chapter nine or chapter 10, verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just as we learned in our pardon and confession, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and wash us from all unrighteousness. God would not be God if he did not forgive us when we confess our sins. He wouldn't be who he is. He would not be right. He would not be just. So if we confess these things, as Romans 10 says, that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, it is a guarantee that you will be saved. This is why Christians should be characterized by their rest in Jesus. We shouldn't be people that are all worked up and uptight and chaotic and worried about everything. We should be characterized by rest and refreshment because Jesus has gone before us to do the work and we're resting in him for our soul and our salvation. We see this also, uh, this message of repentance and baptism. It's not exclusive to John the Baptist. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. If you're still there, Acts chapter 2. Verse 37 through 41, at Pentecost, the apostles are preaching the gospel. They're being accused of drunkenness, right? And Peter's like, dude, it's 9 a.m., right? And he lays out the gospel in one incredible sermon. And then those that mocked them had asked, what shall we do? Verse 37 says, Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will, here's the guarantee, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. The power of the gospel. Peter says, Repent and believe, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be given the Holy Spirit, who is going to be with you forever until the end when Jesus returns, and we will see him face to face. So maybe even you're sitting here this morning and you've confessed your sins, right? You've, you've placed your trust in the work of Christ, but you haven't been baptized yet. If anything this morning as well, I, I encourage you to be baptized, to walk in obedience, right? Jesus was baptized for your sake and for your repentance so that we should do likewise. Let's move to chapter 8 of the book of Acts. You know, I've met quite a few people in my life who have been, they've got saved, and for some reason they were just hesitant to get baptized. It's such an interesting dilemma, because it's like, my instincts are to be like, what are you waiting for? Right? We want to be obedient. We want to be people that are characterized by our obedience to the Word. And we see this urgency of repentance and baptism. 
right? John the, Bapti- John the Baptizer is prophesying them together. Peter is saying to a group of thousands of people, repent and be baptized. They go hand in hand. We want to walk in obedience. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 38 says, this is about Philip and the Ethiopian. He says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had to come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens, his, opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to, into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. We see the, yeah, amen. We see the urgency that after understanding and receiving the gospel, the eunuch was like, I need to get baptized. I need to, I need to have all my sin washed away. I need to be baptized in the water in the likeness of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. There's an urgency for this. Like I said, after hearing the gospel explained to him, the man believed and he desired to be baptized. The baptism of Christ is monumental for the believer. It distinctly sets us apart from all other religions because Christ has gone before us to do the work perfectly. After regeneration, we respond by faith to walk in obedience and mimic his life. We do not get baptized to obtain faith or grace. We do these things in response to the faith that we've been given by Jesus. So don't wait. If you haven't been baptized yet, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Walk in obedience and be baptized. And for the rest of us, those of us who have faith, who have been baptized, you can be refreshed this morning because you can rest. You can rest in the perfect work of Christ, in his life, in his death. He has gone before you to secure your life for all eternity, and you can sit at this table this morning when we dine with our Savior, and you can say thank you and be reminded that one day he's going to return to crush sin and death once and for all and will make all things new. So as said before, I've been a practicing horticulturist for 13 years now, and I have many more years ahead of me. And I haven't been perfect by any means, but my life won't be defined by my trade skills. None of it's going to matter. What matters is that I am in Christ, 
and how I live my life according to the gospel. And I won't do that perfectly either, and many of you know me. I'm not perfect. I'm so far from it. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus already did these things perfectly for me and for you. He fulfilled it for your sake and for mine. And we can rejoice because Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So church this morning, take heart, believer, because our King is coming. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, rise now.